the relationship between athletes and cannabis has long been decried for its perceived negative association. Thankfully, that misconception is being reshaped as athletes are now experiencing a certain form of liberation, one which has inspired them to move from the shadows and serve as advocates for the medicine that they deem so vital. These stories are worthy of greater attention and will serve to help augment the discourse around medicinal cannabis. The cannabis culture and sport deserves to be celebrated, not maligned. And these conversations will move us in that direction. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis with your host, Bill Bronner. Welcome back to Winning with Cannabis. This is episode four with your host, Bill Bronner. I'm pleased to note that we have Dr. Joanna Zeiger, a former Olympian, and um, uh, I should probably describe her as uh, kind of an all-knowing individual who's definitely at the forefront uh, of uh, cannabis research and as an extremely formidable background and, and kind of body work surrounding her. And we're delighted to have you on the program. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on. Terrific. So, um, Joanna, let's, let, let's kind of be, begin in um, a kind of a logical place uh, and, and talk about your rise into the, the athletic realm and, and how that came about. Sure. I have a long history of being an athlete. I started off as a swimmer and swam all through uh, high school and on into college. When I was done with my collegiate swimming career, I was looking for some new challenges. So I turned to triathlon. Having a swim background is a a huge leg up when you uh, do triathlon. A lot of the triathletes don't have a swim background and I find that to be the, the hardest part. But uh, coming from a swim background, that that helped, and I quickly was able to pick up proficiency in the bike and the run. I spent uh, several years racing in the age group ranks and worked my way up. In 1998, I turned professional, and in 2000, I went to the Sydney Olympics. It was the first time that triathlon was contested in the Olympics. I placed fourth, and after that, I uh, spent my time sort of uh, dappling in the different distances of triathlon. So the triathlon that's contested in the Olympics is about a two-hour event. And uh, we have the Ironman, which is about uh, nine, a nine-hour event. And then there's the half Ironman, which falls somewhere in between. And uh, the half Ironman was my best distance. And in 2008, I won the half Ironman World Championships in what was a world record time. And in the interim, I won several events uh, in varying distances and picked up a bronze medal at the um, Olympic Distance uh, World Championships. So, uh, you know, had quite an interesting career. Um, I went to, I've been to seven Olympic trials in three different sports. I've been to the Olympic trials three times for triathlon, three times for marathon, and uh, once for swimming. Very, very accomplished. Um, I wanted to better understand how you ventured into to, to the world of cannabis and um, how that marriage occurred. Could you point that out for us? Sure. So there, there's sort of a uh, direct link between my athletic background and how I got into the world of cannabis. Um, I have a PhD in epidemiology from the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. I spent eight years here in uh, Boulder at the Institute for Behavioral Genetics doing research on drug use and abuse in adolescents and young adults. And one of the drugs that we studied was marijuana. Um, I looked at um, 
sort of, um, you know, abuse uh, of, of marijuana itself and multi-drug use and conduct disorder and looking at uh, different factors that may predispose somebody for drug use behavior. As a professional athlete, um, cannabis was uh, not legal during my time as a, as a professional athlete. So it was, it was illegal in all forms. CBD was not legal. THC was not legal. And uh, having worked uh, doing drug abuse research and seeing sort of the negative things that were happening, happening to adolescents who were using drugs, and as a professional athlete where it was banned, I sort of had a very negative attitude um, toward marijuana. And I kind of like to joke that when you study the negative effects of the plant, you call it marijuana research. And when you're looking at the more balanced medical effects, you call it cannabis research. So I spent eight years doing marijuana research, and now I do cannabis research. So... Um, yeah, so I really had sort of a stigma uh, around cannabis because of my past experience. Um, as I mentioned, uh, in 2008, I won the, the Half Ironman World Championships. In 2009, when I went back to defend my title, I had a terrible bike accident. Uh, I was at one of the aid stations, and I was reaching for a water bottle. And the person that was handing me the water bottle did not let go and uh, essentially pulled me off my bike. And I flipped over the handlebars and I broke my collarbone and I did extensive damage to my rib cage. Um, because of that accident, um, I have um, permanent structural and nerve damage to my rib cage. And so every day, 24 hours a day, I struggle with, with uh, chronic pain and other symptoms from, from the intercostal nerve damage. The intercostal nerves are the ones that run between your ribs. And I get muscle spasms and I have difficulty breathing and it causes a whole host of issues. Uh, so, you know, I went to all the doctors. I had a lot of surgeries to try and correct the problems. I was put on lots of different medications and I just never really was able to get a hold of the condition. And I just wasn't sleeping well and I was uncomfortable all the time. My husband was... Um, very adamant that I try cannabis. It was legal here medically at the time, and I had a qualifying condition. But because of the stigma, I just couldn't bring myself to try it. I just, um, I didn't know what doctor to go see. I was, I was ashamed to go see a doctor. I just couldn't wrap my head around uh, using cannabis. Uh, when uh, it became I'm, legal, I, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm curious whether or not uh, your negative stance that you had assumed towards uh, towards cannabis, uh, obviously it was probably, you know, certainly rooted in some of the research you had done. And um, I'm sure there's somewhat of an imprint that was probably left in your youth as I'm not sure how you were reared as a, as a younger person, but is it safe to say that your perception was always kind of uh, adverse or did it kind of develop in that direction later on? I don't know that it was always adverse. I had used cannabis, um, you know, as a, a younger person, you know, in college and even uh, tried it in high school. So I had had some experience um, using marijuana. Um, I was sort of agnostic about it. Um, and then I had a long break where I just didn't use it anymore. I just didn't feel the need for it. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy being high. Um, but you know, in terms of whether it should be legal or not, I really had no opinion. Uh, but it just didn't seem to me to be something that would be something you'd use medically. Like that was just an astounding thought. But uh, eventually I got pretty desperate. And 
once it became legal recreationally here, it lifted one of the barriers. I didn't have to get a prescription for it. So I decided to go to a dispensary to initially um, get some product that would help me sleep. And uh, I was amazed. I I got some sleep and um, I didn't have a hangover from it. It really was uh, kind of life altering. And so then I decided to try and start using it, uh, microdosing during the day to see if I could alleviate some of the symptoms of pain and spasticity. And I've had some variable success with it. Um, and I became interested in understanding what the experience of other medical patients was. And I, I heard just amazing stories of success. And so as a researcher, I went to the literature to find out um, what kind of studies had, be done, had been done to look at the medical purposes of cannabis. And you know, I can't say that there was no research, but there wasn't a lot of research. But what I read looked promising. And so as an epidemiologist who had studied cannabis, I realized that I was in a position to start helping bridge that gap between um, what people want to know and what is known. And so uh, last year, I formed Canna Research Group uh, with some colleagues, and we uh, went off and running. We did our first study in athletes. And uh, we will be working with uh, some other groups to look at cannabis and in, in other demographic groups, um, such as um, allergic and asthmatic individuals, and um, hopefully upcoming in older adults. Terrific. We're going to take a, a brief commercial break, and then we're going to pick up where we left off. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or eight years old. You can still learn something that's gonna make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The concierge for better living with Doc Rob. Only on cannabisradio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him, think that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. 
Welcome back to Winning with Cannabis. This is your host, Bill Bronner. Again, I'm joined by former Olympian, Dr. Joanna Zeger. Uh, Joanna, you were in the process of uh, explaining the, forgive me if I'm misremembering, the, the Cannabis Research Project that you and your cohorts have since launched and um, seem to have a lot of wonderful aspirations in terms of uh, the types of uh, topics that you're going to be delving into. W- would you mind kind of re-explaining that and, and um, highlighting kind of where you're currently at and, and what the uh, expectations are for the near future and most importantly, how that research can be converted into uh, measurable change? Sure. So at Canada Research Group, uh, we uh, do outcomes research and we are interested in looking at how different um disease populations can use cannabis safely and effectively to alleviate the burden of their disease, particularly if they have things like chronic pain. For example, um, older adults is a group that that we are working on uh, getting a study off the ground, and older adults have a lot of pain and comorbid conditions. They're on a lot of different medications. They're the fastest using, they're the fastest group initiating cannabis use. And so what we want to understand is the patterns of use in this group and whether or not cannabis uh, is beneficial, what adverse effects are they having, and whether or not it's improving quality of life. And, and these are the kinds of studies that we want to do in other demographic groups. Last year, we did a study in athletes. Uh, our goal was to find out what percentage of athletes are using cannabis. And when I say athletes, these are self-defined adult community-based athletes, sort of the people you find at, at, at a 5K or a marathon or a local triathlon. Uh, because this group hadn't been studied previously. So it was unknown, uh, you know, who was using it, how are they using it, why are they using it, and what are their attitudes and knowledge, and what kind of effects are they having. Our our goal ultimately is to start amassing evidence-based information so that we can start educating physicians, um, dispensaries, and patients on how to safely and effectively use cannabis for their conditions. I'm I'm actually really intrigued by that recent survey that you just described. What uh, what 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 was kind of the subpopulation in terms of demographics, and what was the scope of it overall? Did it encompass was it kind of a, a national kind of concentration, or were you just focused maybe more discreetly there in the in, in the kind of the Colorado area? So our study is called the Athlete Peace Survey, and Peace stands for Pain, Exercise, and Cannabis Experience. This was primarily an online survey, so we were able to get um, actually international reach. Uh, We didn't really uh, discriminate on um, what sport athletes were doing. We didn't. uh, The only requirement was that they were over 21 because we wanted them to be of legal age to purchase cannabis. Um, It didn't matter if they came from a, a legal state or country or not because we asked about those kinds of things. Uh, so we had a really um, <clears throat> wide range of abilities of athletes from recreational to professional. Um, our athletes were 21 to 70 plus. Uh, we had a lot of different sports represented and uh, we had uh, lots of very active athletes. Many, most of our group was exercising 10 hours a week or more. So this was um, a very diverse group. And believe it or not, even though this group was exercising at a very, very high level, um, 49% indicated that they had either acute or chronic pain, which is much, much higher than the general population number. Interesting. Can, could you identify the, the ways in which this research can ultimately translate into um, kind of a, an, an educational use? You mentioned that 
Um, your plan was to kind of you know funnel this information so that it was usable as a tool for dispensaries and and, and other um, actors within the kind of the, the the broader industry to help you know kind of guide the future and um, you know create kind of a really good baseline as to kind of how to conduct business better. Is that is that kind of a theme? Well, sure. So we found that twenty six percent of the athletes in our survey, we had 1,160 athletes, so 26% indicated that they used cannabis in the last two weeks. Um, of these, there was, uh, you know, a pretty um, interesting split of those who were using it medically or recreationally or, or using it both. So athletes were very good at being able to distinguish the reason why they were using cannabis. 61% of our cannabis users use cannabis for pain. So this is something that's important for, um, you know, industry stakeholders to understand is that when you're marketing to athletes, one of the things that they're trying to alleviate is pain. And so that, you know, you want to get them products that are going to help with that. We asked if they were using CBD, THC, or both. We didn't ask about ratios or how many milligrams they're taking because it's so hard for people to measure that. There's not standardized labeling. And a lot of times when you ask athletes, well, how much are you taking? They'll say, oh, I take three or four drops. So, you know, what does that mean? So we just asked, you know, which cannabinoid they used. And what we found was that the athletes who used a, who co-used THC and CBD had the most benefits, uh, meaning that they had the highest degree of pain relief. It aided in sleep. It decreased anxiety. It decreased nausea, decreased muscle spasms. But this group that co-used THC and CBD also had the most negative effects. And the three most common and negative effects were increased appetite, decreased concentration, and anxiety. But these were seen at a much, much lower level than our positive benefits. Um, athletes over 40 tended to use CBD only. And this group showed uh, the least benefits, but also the least adverse effects. So I think the take-home message that we found here and what other studies have found is that the combination of THC and CBD seems to give the most uh, benefits. Interesting. Um, curious to know whether or not any other former athletes are involved in the Canada Research Project in addition to you, or if, if you're the only one who has that, obviously, very unique perspective on, um, on the body of research itself. Uh, so uh, my colleagues are um, physicians. Um, so my, my father, Robert Zeiger, is uh, MD, PhD. He's our chief medical officer, and William Silvers uh, is a uh, former allergist immunologist, and he's a chief scientific officer. And then Ed Flegler is a former geriatrician. Uh, so he's been instrumental in our older adult study, and he's an advisor. So um, I, we're all athletic in, in one way or another, but I'm the only uh, former professional athlete. Curious to know whether or not uh, the Canada Research team, and perhaps you in particular, uh, are planning to kind of to take any initiative in the sense that uh, you know, the, the, the outcomes here, um, you know, have a, certainly possess a great deal of gravity and, and the credence uh, that they, you know, will enjoy um, based on the data is, um, you know, verifiable and almost, you know, impossible to, to, to controvert. It seems like a really powerful tool that could help guide policy, whether it be, you know, in a state like Colorado, or obviously well, Colorado is the exception, but um, on, on a more national playing field, you guys thought about other ways you might be able to apply the research findings to help um, bring about, uh, you know, greater change than um, 
that what you were speaking to before, at least in terms of potential policy reforms and helping to uh, you know legislators to better understand uh, the the efficacy behind the medicine. I mean, certainly, if we were called upon to um, you know have discussions, that's something that that we would definitely be interested in doing. But right now, most of our focus is on doing the research, publishing papers, um, giving talks, doing podcasts like these. Um, you know, edu- eventually we'd like to have, you know, education um, as online courses or some other way of guiding people, um, you know, with the science so that it becomes interpretable in an easy way. So uh, policy really isn't one of our focuses at this point. Mm. Well, let, let me encourage you to uh, at least give that some thoughtful consideration going forward, because I like to believe that uh, the more data-driven conversations that occur um, in the areas of decision-making, the better off we'll all be. So basically allowing science to guide policy um, versus, um, you know, other sort of, um, I should say, kind of external factors. Um, I'd like sure. to think that majority of people have have pretty well-grounded faith in uh, in science well you know and, it, and it's interesting because when, when you talk to physicians who are very anti-cannabis and they'll tell you that there's no research out there and and of course there is research and and more and more research is happening but then they say oh well it's not a clinical trial oh it's not this and so my, my feeling is that that some people no matter how much evidence you give them will never believe that that cannabis has medicinal properties and other people have a very open mind and want to learn as much as they can. And certainly we want policy to be um, predicated on, you know, something that is evidence-based and not driven by, by business and money. Um, so uh, yes, hopefully at, at some point we'll be able to get involved with that and, and use our results to help people make decisions. Well put. We're going to take a, a brief a commercial break here. And then we're going to pick up where we left off. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. The The Green Green Peak Peak with Richard Zwicky. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. 
Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Winning with Cannabis. This is your host, Bill Bronner. I'm joined by former Olympian, Dr. Joanna Zieger. Uh, Joanna, you were in the process of uh, explaining, if you could explain even more fully and and expound a bit about the uh, kind of growing disparity of opinions on kind of this ever thorny issue of, of medicinal cannabis and its efficacy. Why do you believe there's such a divergence of opinion? It, it would seem to me, the layman, that the body of evidence is so convincing to render any sort of uh, counter-argument, um, you know, just grossly ineffective and pretty easy to dismantle. Um, why do you think people are so entrenched in their ways? Do you think it uh, kind of has to do with something that is beyond science in terms of personal belief, whether it be um, political inclination, religious inclination, what have you. Do you think there are other factors that contribute to folks being somewhat uncompromising on this? Yes, I think that people are uncompromising for all of the above. I think it's preconceived notions. I think that it's this whole war on drugs. It's um, reefer madness. Uh, and I, th- I think part of the issue, too, is that in the past, research has predominantly focused on the, the negative aspects of cannabis use. Uh, particularly, there are, if you look at a lot of the journals and, and certainly a lot of the work that I've done, has been on adolescents. And right, we don't want adolescents using it. It's, uh, we don't really fully understand the impact on the growing brain. Um, it doesn't seem to be um, something that, that you want adolescents using. Um, and so, and the NIH has, uh, especially NIDA, the Na- National Institute uh, on Drug Abuse, has traditionally funded studies, again, that are looking at the, the very negative aspects of it. So, so much of the research has been on, on looking at the, the adverse parts of it, uh, drug use, behavior, addiction, etc. And so it's very hard when you've got the federal governing body and this just huge body of literature that is looking at it in a very one-sided way. And so what we're trying to do at Canada Research Group is give a much more balanced look. We understand that cannabis is not the be-all, end-all. It's not for everybody. It's not going to do everything. Um, some people are going to be allergic to it. They're just going to make them sick. They don't like it, or it's not going to help. Um, but again, for other people, it, it could be uh, a magic elixir. And so we, we are trying to really just take an unbiased look to, to find out what are the benefits, what are the harms. And for people that want to use cannabis medically, how can we take these two things and find uh, a way to use it so that you're maximizing the benefits and minimizing the harms? And the more of these studies that come out, whether they're epidemiological studies, observational studies, clinical trials, you know, hopefully some minds will be changed. But with like anything, you know, some people just won't have their mind changed no, no matter how much evidence you give them, and that's okay. True, true. Um, I could think of, of a lot of parallels <laughs> in the political world in terms of you know people being inflexible. Um, uh, w- w- when I ask you a follow-up question, are, are there, and I would like to presume there, the answer is yes, uh, kind of a, a growing number 
number of, of other like-minded organizations similar to Ken Research that are out there and, and taking a huge forward leap into developing, you know, very kind of rigorous scientific research to help, um, you know, kind of quell whatever kind of negativity still clearly exists? Or is, is, it, a, is it a small yet kind of growing group of, of researchers in this particular area? I think it's small but growing. Um, a lot of universities now are, are starting to create cannabis institutes of one kind or another. So the, the, the academic community now, I think, is starting to understand the importance of studying cannabis in a more unbiased manner. Uh, there's still difficulty with the federal illegality of cannabis to do um, clinical trials and other kinds of research. But people are getting creative and working their way around that. At CU, for example, they're, they're doing some studies uh, where they drive around a, a van and they'll pull up to the person's house and the person will, um, you know, use cannabis in their house and then come out to the van for their testing. And so that way, you know, CU is not responsible for dispensing the medication. Um, the person does that on their own. So groups are getting very creative to, to work around the laws. And, you know, more and more research and more and more research groups are popping up all the time. One of the difficulties that, that is occurring is, is getting funding. And uh, that's one stumbling block that we're seeing. So if any of the listeners out here have some ideas on funding or are interested in funding can, cannabis research, uh, you know, call me up. Well, if you don't mind, if you can illustrate exactly how they can get in contact with you and, and what sort of role they can play in terms of helping to, uh, to fuel uh, the, the wonderful commitment that you've described for all of us, please um, elaborate a bit. So you can visit us at our website, cannerresearchgroup.net, or you can email me at joanna at cannerresearchgroup.net, and um, I can give you the information that you can put uh, if you have notes uh, for the show. Uh, but, you know, the way people can get involved is in, in any way, really, um, you know, whether it's direct funding or just, you know, getting the word out uh, that, that research is happening and, and that uh, it's important work that needs to be done and just supporting cannabis initiatives. Terrific. Well, thank you so much. It was a really substantive discussion and, um, you know, one that uh, I look forward to continuing with you at a later period and hopefully there'll be um, you know, great strides that you guys will be able to achieve in a you know reasonable period of time, and we can our next discussion can um, you know can can be even better than this in terms of what the future holds, and hopefully things will be less murky. Yes, I, that is always the goal. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks, Joanna. Really appreciate your participation, and enjoy the rest yes, of your thank day. Thank you so much. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.